This is Ham College, Episode 108, for January 5th, 2024. Ham College is brought to you by ICOM. This winter, make your gatherings merrier, your message clearer, and your connection stronger with ICOM. Hi, welcome to another episode of Ham College. I'm Professor Thomas. And I'm Dean Martin. And we've got questions tonight. Do we have answers? A few. Do we have correct answers? A few. A few. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was waiting for. We may have some wrong ones. You know, we like to have a little variety there. Oh, yeah. Got to keep it interesting. Well, it's uh, near the 1st of January and of 2024. We're recording this. Running uh, a few days late, but... Yeah, holidays kind of set us back a little bit, but uh, we'll be back on schedule by next month. I think so. What did we talk about last month? Do you recall? Oh, let me think about that for a minute. I think we talked about uh, practical wire antennas, like folded dipoles, phase arrays, uh, let me think, effects of ground near antennas. Hmm. That it could be something like that. This month we're going to talk about Yagi antennas, parabolic reflectors, circular polarization, loading coils, top loading, feed point impedance of electrically short antennas, antenna Q and RF grounding. Is it Yagi or Yagi? I don't know, but it's a lot of things tonight. A lot of different antenna-related subjects. I can feel the buzzer heat coming off of it right now. Oh, you'll get all of these. You think? Every last one of them. No. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Depends on how my luck's running tonight. I don't remember who answered the first one last time around. It don't really matter. I'll take the first hit. It don't matter. All right. Well, let's try it. How much does the gain of an ideal parabolic dish antenna change when the operating frequency is doubled? A, 2 dB. I meant to say I'll read the first one. B, 3 dB. C, 4 dB. Or D, 6 dB. Hmm. How much does the gain of an ideal parabolic dish antenna change? When the operating frequency is doubled. I think I probably picked the wrong one to start with. Nah, just pick an answer. I'm going to go with B, but I, pro- I don't know. I don't. That's probably not right because that seems too obvious. Mm. What's everybody saying? The guys in the chat room are saying D. D? Yeah. Let's see. I'm going to agree with them, I think. Okay. There it is. I can feel the heat coming off that buzzer already. You know, it's good to hear that buzzer every now and then. It's like keeps us honest. Yeah. Uh, you want some explaining on this one? Yeah, sure. Well, I don't really have much, but I got a little bit. My, yeah. Okay. The gain of a parabolic dish is directly proportional to the square of its diameter and also directly proportional to the frequency of operation. So gain will increase by 6 dB if either the dish's diameter 
or its frequency is doubled. That just seems like it ought not be that easy, doesn't it? Yes, it does seem like it shouldn't. You see That's why it. I came up with three, though? I, yeah, because... When I was getting all this stuff together, that's what I came up with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what, that's why I went with six this time around. How can linearly polarized Yagi antennas be used to produce circular polarization? A, stack two Yagis fed 90 degrees out of phase to form an array with the respective elements in parallel planes. B, stack two Yagis fed in phase to form an array with the respective elements in parallel planes. C. Arrange two Yagis perpendicular to each other with the driven elements at the same point on the boom fed 90 degrees out of phase. D. Arrange two Yagis collinear to each other with the driven elements fed 180 degrees out of phase. How can linearly polarized Yagi antennas be used to produce circular polarization? Mm. Let's see. This would be vertical polarization. This would be horizontal. So to get circular and linearly polarized Yagi antenna, so it's going to be more than one Yagi. So I guess we want one horizontal and one vertical. Mm -hmm. So... I'm going to say C, arrange two Yagis perpendicular to each other. Yeah, that's what I think, too. With the driven elements at the same point on the boom, at the same distance down the boom, fed 90 degrees out of phase. I think, I think that is the answer. I think that's the answer, too. You concur. I do. Everyone in the chat room concurs. Matter of fact, I think more answered this time around than last time. Well, there, you go. there we go. All right, I'll get up there. Two Yagi antennas on the same boom, mounted perpendicular to each other, and the driven elements in the same location. Cool. Okay, here's one you can redeem yourself. I've actually got the circular polarized uh, antennas. They uh, they actually have a loop, like, or mm-hmm. like a clover, almost like a clover leaf. Looking, they go actually on my drone for the video. Oh, I was wondering what you would have those for, but yeah, that okay. Our uh, all our FM broadcast antennas are circular polarized, and some are right hand polarized, some are left hand. We don't discriminate on, <laughs> Funny. on the public airways. No, I don't know if they're right or left, I don't know that it matters. Well, it matters on the drone, well, but I think that's a different, I don't yeah. know, that's kind of a different configuration. Yeah. Anyway, I might bring one of those sometime for show and tell. That would be good. Where should a high-Q loading coil be placed to minimize losses in a shortened vertical antenna? A, near the center of the vertical radiator. B, as low as possible on the vertical radiator. C, as close to the transmitter as possible. Or D, at a voltage node. Hmm. Hmm. Where should a high Q loading coil be placed to minimize losses in a shortened vertical antenna? Since most of the examples I can think of 
they're in the center of the vertical radiator, I'm going with A. I'm going to agree with you. I was actually, I wasn't thinking HF. I guess I should have, but I know all my mobile antennas had a coil in them. It's yeah. in the middle. Well, all my AM broadcast antennas, all the matching's done at the base. If you got a coil, it's at the base. Yeah. That's probably because it'd be difficult to put a coil in the middle of a, you know, 200-foot stick of tower. Well, near the center of the vertical radiator is, uh, most folks in the chat room said, hey, there's a few Might bees. Might be two for two? Yeah, a few more bees. Okay, it's uh, it's leveling up there. As low as possible. Well, are you changing your mind? No, I'm going to stick with the first answer. There you go. There's an example right there. You put the coil in the middle. That's not exactly the middle, but it's not the bottom either. It's not a ham antenna either. No, but it is a coil. Yeah, that's one of those CB antennas. So you know that five watts, when you put it on a big coil like that, it's got to be better. Oh, yeah. Bigger is better anyway, right? Yeah, that's... um, Except when it comes to frequency and reality. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I got a good one for you right here. Been saving this one up for you. Why should an HF mobile antenna loading coil have a high ratio of reactance to resistance? A, to swamp out harmonics. B, to lower the radiation angle. (laughs) C, to minimize losses. D, to minimize the Q. Why should an HF mobile antenna loading coil have a high ratio of reactance to resistance? A, to swamp out harmonics? No, it's not going to do that. B, to lower the radiation angle? I don't think it's going to have any effect on that. D, to minimize the Q? No, I think you'd want to maximize the Q on a mobile antenna because short antenna anyway. So I'm going to say it's C, to minimize losses. I think that would be your main concern there. So I'm going to go with C. Chat room, a little mixed on it. Yeah, yeah see a couple of D's in there, but mostly C's. You said A? No, I did not say A. <laughs> I think it's C also. That's one that okay. kind of makes any sense. There you go. It is C. And do I, I do have something to say about that. A short mobile vertical antenna has a decreased radiation resistance and increased capacitive reactance as frequency lowers. The capacitive reactance can be canceled and the antenna resonated at the operating frequency by adding a loading coil. Placing the coil at the bottom of the radiator requires less inductance and produces a wider bandwidth than moving the coil higher on the radiator. That sounds kind of contrary to what we were That's sounding like it's better to have it at the bottom. Uh-huh. As the coil is raised, the inductance must be increased, and the bandwidth decreases. That doesn't sound good, does it? Mm-mm. However, the Q of the antenna is increased, and losses are minimized as the coil is raised. 
The best compromise is to place the loading coil midway of the radiating element. So there are some advantages to it being at the bottom is you don't need as big an inductor and you got a broader bandwidth. But for efficiency, yeah, you better having a narrower bandwidth or a higher Q by raising it, even though you're going to need more inductance. By increasing the Q, you're going to resonate that antenna better at the frequency you're interested in. Hmm. What usually occurs if a Yagi antenna is designed solely for maximum forward gain? A, the front-to-back ratio increases. B, the front-to-back ratio decreases. C, the frequency response is widened over the whole frequency band. Or D, the SWR is reduced. I don't think it's D. Okay. Frequency response is widened. I don't think it's C either. It's going to be either A or B. Designed solely for maximum forward gain. I think that means front-to-back ratio. I hope I'm not getting these inverted. But I think that means the front-to-back ratio is increased. means more... Power out the front, less out the back. So I guess I'm going to go A. A. I think that's right. Yeah, the chat room would not be a big help to you on this one. This is um, a very tricky one right Yeah, here. well, the wording's kind of messing me up a little bit. Yep. Well, I mean, I there again, when I was getting all this stuff together a week or two ago, I said A. Oh, so come on. I would have been head. wrong right with you. It decreases. <laughs> it's B. The front-to-back ratio decreases. That doesn't make any sense at How all, does it? How You would think if you're designing it solely for maximal forward gain, the front-to-back ratio would have to increase. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's what makes sense. However... It's not just what's coming out the front and the back. It's what's on the sides, too. So you can take more away from the sides and put it on the front. Or you can spread it out a little wider. But I don't really have a good answer for you other than to say if you're solely designing it for maximum forward gain, you're going to lose a little front-to-back ratio. It's a... What I read, there's a big trade-off when you're designing a Yagi mm-hmm. as to what what parameters you're designing for. You try to increase one thing and you decrease something else. Everything is very interactive on it. Chat room, yeah, there were a lot of buzzers going off that time. So you were in good company. Yeah, well, that don't make me feel much better. Well, everybody just about. There, there were a few that got it right. But uh, the majority um, say the front-to-back ratio increases. And that's just what you would think when you read that question. Uh-huh. I mean, that's the one that makes the most sense, but it's not the case. Sometimes things just don't make sense. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. What happens to the SWR bandwidth when one or more loading coils are used to resonate an electrically short antenna? 
A is increased. B, it is decreased. C, it's unchanged if the loading coil is located in the feed point, or at the feed point, rather. D, it is unchanged if the loading coil is located at a voltage maximum point. Are you going to answer it? Oh, is it my question? I'm sorry. I can, I I can I, try it. Wait a minute. I, I just had a buzzer on the last one. You did? Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> B, it is decreased. You think, am I reasoning here? What happens when the SWR bandwidth, when one or more loading coils are used to resonate an antenna or, or electrically short antenna? If we're putting coils in there, we're kind of tuning that circuit. So it's not going to be as broad. So I, I think it's B also. That, that's why I'm going with B. The chat room, they're all saying B. It's decreased. And did I have anything else to say about that? No, that's about it. That was enough, huh? I mean, it's a resonant circuit. Well, the antenna itself is resonant. But if it's too short, it's not going to be resonant on the frequency you want. It's going to be resonant on a higher frequency. You add a coil, then you start, well, you decrease your bandwidth. Because the coil and the antenna are kind of working as a tuned circuit together. And that's all I got to say about that. Hmm. What do you say we take a, a quick break? I think that's a great idea. And we'll come right back. Why don't we give something away when we come back? That's an even better idea. This winter, make your gatherings merrier, your message clearer, and your connection stronger with ICOM. Whether inside the ham shack or on the air in the great outdoors, ICOM has a radio every ham wants. The ID5100AD is innovation and mobility taken to the next level. Designed from user input, the ID5100AD offers an intuitive user interface experience with an industry-leading touchscreen display. This radio is one of the most advanced dual-band mobiles on the market today. The ID52A is a VHF-UHF dual-bander with D-Star and FM dual functions and is the first handheld amateur radio with a full-color 2.3-inch waterfall display. The new ID50A gives hours of fun and enjoyment working your favorite bands. Easy D-Star settings, band scope and waterfall display, voice messaging, share picture function, and it uses the same optional accessories as the ID52A, ID51A, and ID31A. Explore the world of microwave with ICOM's new SHF portable, the IC905. This all-mode rig covers 2 meters through 70 centimeters, 1.2 gigahertz, 2.4 gigahertz, 5.6 gigahertz bands, and with the optional CX10G transverter, 10 gigahertz. Aim higher and enter the world of SHF. The IC7300 is a high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed your expectations. This is the radio that changed the way entry-level HF was designed. The real HF fun starts here. For the mobile and outdoor aficionados, ICOM's IC7100 is road-ready. At home or wherever you roam, Happy New Year from ICOM.
For more information about ICOM's amateur radios and to locate a dealer, visit icomamerica.com slash amateur. Back in the old days, we used something called tape. Now, this is a reel-to-reel. Now, a lot of people probably are going to watch this, so exactly what we're talking about. And uh, back in the, the 70s, I would say this was a, the real big thing and people were transferring their music to, when you say kind of preceded the 8-track tape? They were both around at the same time, but yeah, this this was the standard for quality. Is that your streamer down there? That's the streamer down there, an innocent-looking uh, 1.8 gigahertz standard desktop computer, generic, you know, IBM clone, whatever you want to call it. What do you say we give away something? Okay. Look at that found. How about one of these? Uh, that looks good to me. It's a little wrinkled. Uh, well, we'll get you a good one that's maybe not quite so wrinkled. If it is, you can iron the wrinkles out of it. You can get a new one. Yep. A nice ICOM ham crew t-shirt. Look as good when you leave the ham fest as you did when you got there. And Jesse's going to stuff some other things in the box as well. Yep. So, uh, no telling what, but it'd yeah. be some cool stuff, I'm sure. He usually does. Nice little swag package. If you'd like to win that, how could you do that? All you got to do is send an email. You don't really need, even need to call a sign or anything. You send an email to hamcollege at amateurlogic.tv. You want to leave a note in there, that's cool. But if you know, if you don't want to put a note, it's not required. Yeah, we drew a winner, right? A winner, chicken dinner. Yep. Who's the winner? A second ago. It says, hey there, George and Tommy. Almost ready to take my extra. Y'all have been a big help. I take it on 118. Oh, so he don't have, doesn't have long before he'll be an extra. Take care in 7-3. Tommy Thompson, K4OCN. Well, congratulations, Tommy. That's an interesting name. I used to go to school with a guy named Tommy Thompson when I lived in Virginia. I'm going to have to look the call sign up and see where he is. I did, too, but it was in Mississippi. He must really get around. <laughs> must. That's a four call. Isn't that Virginia, too? Uh, I, think, I, I didn't look it up to see where he is. What is an advantage of using top loading in a shortened HF vertical antenna? A, lower Q. B, greater structural strength. C, higher losses. Or D, improved radiation efficiency. What advantage of using top loading? So that would be the coil at the top in a short HF vertical antenna. You ever seen that? No, I was just thinking about that. I, I don't think I have. It doesn't seem very practical. For a vertical with the coil at the top, because the HF stuff's usually kind of big, but maybe it. Is. I, I, I think you would have improved radiation efficiency though with that coil being up at the very top. More more wire higher in the air, right? Yeah, I don't ever recall seeing one on the top either. I'm assuming this is a theoretical question. Oh, it's a it's a real thing. The advantage of using a top loading, using top loading in a shortened HF vertical antenna. So, well, advantage higher losses is not an advantage. 
No, that's not an advantage. So that's is not C. <laughs> I don't see how greater structural strength can come from having a coil at the top of a, an antenna of a vertical either. So it's yeah. not B. Lower Q, I don't think so. Didn't it say earlier, didn't it say? I don't remember that one for sure. I'm still going to stick with D. I, I, I don't know. If, I'll probably get the third buzzer of the night, but I feel like that's the answer. No, I think you, you got a good answer there. The chat room does, too. There you go. Oh. Improved radiation efficiency. However, there was a little flaw in your reasoning there. Well, maybe not in your reasoning. But top-loading does not refer to a coil at the top. It just means there's some reactive element up there loading the antenna. It's actually capacitive, a capacitive top hat. Oh, okay. And, you know, I just happen to have one of these in the swamp. Do you? I do. That's a guide AM broadcast antenna. And you can see those little white spots in the guy wires there are insulators. If you start at the bottom and go up everywhere guy wires are attached, you notice there's some white insulators there at the first guy, up at the second guy point going up. Yeah. So there's some white insulators. But you look at the top, there's no white insulators. Those wires at the top there are connected directly to the tower. And then that is a a tuned length of guy wire coming down that's actually top-loading. That's a capacitance hat. Then you see the insulators, some longer insulators there. So those top three wires are part of the antenna until it gets down to the insulators. So that adds capacitance to the tower. And that, that would be an example of top-loading right there. Interesting. Top loading an antenna radiator is accomplished by attaching a capacitive top hat, usually wires extending perpendicular from the top of the radiator. Well, in this case, you couldn't do them perpendicular because, uh, well, I guess you could, but it's usually done this way right here. This this antenna is, the tower is too short for the frequency it's operating on, so they top loaded it. The added capacitance reduces the resonating value of inductance and the size of necessary loading coils. A smaller inductor reduces the coil's resistive losses and improves antenna radiation efficiency. What are those white things made out of, the insulators? Um, all the other insulators on this tower are ceramic. However, those right there are made out of something like fiberglass. You notice they're a little longer. They're pretty strong. Yeah. These are, you'll see them on power lines a lot. When you see a, a long white insulator up mm -hmm. um, near the top of a power pole, it's essentially the same kind of insulators used in this this particular tower and others I've seen too. Pretty cool. Thanks for showing that. That's, that's uh, Yeah. Well, that's a real world neat. case there. Yeah. And there are a lot of AM antennas done that way. Now, some people think, yeah, it, in, it really increases the antenna's ability uh, to radiate, but 
There's another school of thought that says, no, it really doesn't. It's just tricking the the transmitter into thinking it's operating into an antenna the correct height. So I'm going to kind of stay out of that, but no. That's... You want to talk about grounding next? Yeah, uh, maybe. <laughs> if if you need a 300-foot antenna, but instead you use a 200-foot one and you top-load it, I don't think that's going to work as good as a 300. Just... Oh, yeah. You know, just... Well... That's yeah, just my see, thought. I don't see how it could. Well, it's all going to tune out to be the same, but the angle that the radiation is coming off that tower is going to be different if the tower is shorter. That That's my thought. What happens as the Q of an antenna increases? A, SWR bandwidth increases. B, SWR bandwidth decreases. C, gain is reduced. D, more common mode current is present on the feed line. What happens as the Q of an antenna is increased? Well, it doesn't change the common mode current present at the feed point. Um, the gain is not reduced. SWR bandwidth is going to decrease because now... Yeah, you touched base with this one yeah. earlier. If we're increasing the Q, we're resonating more on the frequency we want, but the overall bandwidth is going to decrease. I'm going to say it's B. In the chat room, uh, mostly B. That was my answer. There mostly B. <laughs> Wasn't that your rapper name? Yeah, mostly B. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's, that's my third gig. Oh. I'm... Uh, Dean at Ham College, but my part-time gig, I'm uh, Dean at MIT. Yeah, but it's upside down. That's WIT, I think. <laughs> what is the function of a loading coil used as part of an HF mobile antenna? A, to increase the SWR bandwidth. B, to lower the losses. C, to lower the Q. Or D, to cancel capacitive reactants. The function of a loading coil. Well, we just said it it decreases the SWR bandwidth, so it's not a lower the losses. I don't think so. To lower the Q. We just said the coil will raise the Q, which is the same as lowering the SWR bandwidth, or the same result, or another result of it. So I'm going to go with D to cancel the capacitive reactants because it's not A, B, or C. Okay. Chat room? Mostly D. Mostly. I see a B in there. Yep. There you go. Nailed it. To cancel capacitive reactants because a coal... Is the natural enemy of a capacitor. Yeah. Well, sort of. Yeah, coal has a positive reactance and a capacitor has negative reactance. So you put the two together and you could end up with no reactance. Huh. Or you will at, at a certain frequency. That's a resonant frequency.
What happens to feed point impedance at the base of a fixed-length HF mobile antenna when operated below its resonant frequency? A. The radiation resistance decreases and the capacitive reactance decreases. B. The radiation resistance decreases and the capacitive reactance increases. C. The radiation resistance increases and the capacitive reactance decreases. Or D. The radiation resistance increases and the capacitive reactance increases. Wow. What happens to the feed point impedance at the base of a fixed-length HF mobile antenna when operated below its resonant frequency? All right. Um, HF mobile. Below. Yeah, HF mobile. Most of them are going to be short. You're going to be operating below the resonant frequency. So I think your radiation resistance is going to decrease because the antenna is too short. And the capacitive reactance, it's going to increase. I'm going to say it's B. I see three different answers in the chat room. And it is. Oh, you got it. Let me tell you how I figured that. Yeah. First, the antenna's too short, so the radiation resistance is going to decrease. If the antenna was a full quarter wavelength, you know, your radiation resistance, you know, be in the neighborhood, not exactly 50 ohms, but in that direction. If you make the, the antenna too short, the radiation resistance goes down. Now, how did I figure the capacitive reactance increases? Well, it does, but what I was thinking, okay, the antenna's too short, so to make it appear longer, I'm going to add a coil to it. So that coil is going to offset the increased capacitance. So capacitive reactance would have increased, and I need to cancel that out. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Basically, you want your antenna to have no reactance or as low reactance as you can, neither capacitive or inductive. Which of the following conductors would be best for minimizing losses in a station's RF ground system? A, resistive wire such as spark plug wire. B, wide flat copper strap. C, stranded wire. Or D, solid wire. Following conductors would be best for minimizing losses in a station's RF ground system. That's going to be B, wide flat copper strap, because I think, at least I think because of the skin effect, there's more outside surface, mm, more surface. Uh, I'm going with B on that one. I'm going to agree with for you. For that reason. And I think that is a good reason. They didn't forget and everything. it is. No. Which of the following would provide the best RF ground for your station? A, 50-ohm resistor connected to ground. B, an electrically short connection to a metal water pipe. C, an electrically short connection to three or four interconnected ground rods driven into the earth. Or D, an electrically short connection to 
to three or four interconnected ground rods via a series RF choke. All right, which would provide the best RF ground for your station? Obviously not a 50-ohm resistor connected to ground, (laughs) because that's going to put at least 50 ohms between you and ground. That wouldn't be a good thing. An electrically short connection to a metal water pipe. That would be a ground, but not the best. D, an electrically short connection to three or four interconnected ground rods via a series RF choke. Now that RF choke is, that's going to be between you and the ground. So that thing's got a resonant frequency. You, you don't want to tune the ground system necessarily. Um, I think it's most direct. And I'll see an electrically short connection to three or four interconnected ground rods driven into the earth. Chat room, I, yeah. I concur. Everybody's saying C in there. And it is. It's only when it really makes much sense. Yeah. Well, for the best ground. I mean, I've grounded things to a water pipe before. But, well, because that's all you had. Uh-huh. But, but through having ground rods, three or four driven right into the earth. Yep. It's, don't get much better ground than that. Yep. I got a little story. Oh, yeah? We reckon we got time for a little story? I think so. Yeah. We could take time. Okay. Always got time for a good story. All right. Well, here's here's a little story. I was doing some contract work for an AMFM radio station in Greenwood, Mississippi. I was working at the TV station, but on the side I was doing some engineering for, for this radio hustle. station. Yeah, my side hustle. The The station had probably the worst RF interference, RFI, that I have ever seen. It was a 100,000-watt signal, effective radiated power, off of like a 200-foot antenna which meant the antenna is real close to the building. You know, a lot of the RF is, and it was an older antenna too, so the RF was, um, it was just pounding the building, you know. And they had ground rods and wires and stuff run everywhere through there, but still just horrible RF. You could hear the FM station anywhere you went in that building. And some of the AM in places as, as well in there, any piece of gear. So I got to scratching my head trying to figure out, well, why is this so bad? Maybe the ground system is bad. And I started tracing around where all these ground wires running. They didn't use copper strap like they should have. It was wire and maybe some copper pipe. But it was running through the trials in the building. It all came to one point and went outside the building into a little pump house. When it was built, I guess it was before it was in the city limits, so they had a water well there. All these ground connections in the building ran outside into this little pump house and were connected to the water pipe. Wow. That was the ground system. 
And I'm sure there was some stuff under the ground, too, but that's where everything in the building was going to. Well, apparently they had had a freeze. At some point, that water pipe cracked, and they patched it back with PVC, so it really didn't even connect to the the ground. ground. Yeah. Wow. It seemed like it was pretty inadequate, even even with it. Well, it would have been, but it had been better than... Than the nothing they had. Nothing, yeah. Wow. Let's so what'd see. you do to fix it? Just drive a ground rod and hook it up, or did uh, you it all right? I think I probably took a jumper and shorted across it because that's the only thing I could do at the time. And I never really solved that RF problem. I don't think anybody else ever did. It's just too close. I mean, you you can't put out a, a hundred kilowatts only two hundred foot away from. You it know. seems like you would. Probably exceed the uh, maximum RF exposure limits uh, there too, like on a daily basis. It'd be something you'd want to think about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. But that used to be a common situation because when FM first came on, it was mostly AM stations adding an FM signal, and they were putting the antennas on their existing AM towers, and most of them are, you know, two or three hundred foot tall. Your antenna, well, you're going to use a smaller transmitter and put as many bays on your antenna as you can to amplify that so you don't have to run as much power. Well, when you do that, the antenna gets longer. So, you know, you could end up with a 200-foot tower, and the antenna itself is 80 or 90 foot long coming down, you know. So it's not even 200 foot away. It's closer to the building than that. Uh, you know, I think that's it. I think that's the last question for tonight. So soon? That was 12. What are you, Seems what like are you saying? pretty fast. Thank you, sir. May I have another, please? <laughs> <laughs> no paddle. <laughs> wow. Yep. Seemed, it did seem like it went by pretty fast. Yeah, it yeah, reasonably. We got on through them. Only one buzzer tonight. No, two. Two? You sure? I was keeping score. Oh, okay. You got none. I got two. Well, next week, next month, it's your turn. Okay. I'll see if I can do better. Okay. You know, that ICOM t shirt. Looked mighty nice there to to be going to a ham fest, and as a matter of fact, well, yeah, you and I, um, I don't know, I haven't looked at the calendar. But we may be going to a ham fest before or just right after the next episode of Ham College. Um, uh, right after, right after, yep. The Jackson Ham Fest is going to be on uh, Friday, February the second and third. So, yeah, we'll probably have a ham college before then, just right before then. And I'm thinking about what I need to wear. I don't know what the weather is going to be like then yet. You know, it's um, anybody's guess. Yeah. But what if my ICOM T-shirt is in the laundry basket? Oh, your ham crew T-shirt? My ham crew. Yeah. And I, you know, Um, and I need to look my best. That would be a travesty. That would. So, what could a fellow do? Well, you know, you could go to uh, 
our swag store. We got t-shirts. We, you know, if the weather's colder, we got longer shirts, jackets, all kind of things on there. Hoodies. Go to shop.spreadshirt.com forward slash amateur logic. Bet you could find you something pretty sharp to wear to the ham fest there. I bet you could. Probably find you a cool mug to carry some coffee or a spot of tea. Like this mug right here. No, no, <laughs> not like that one that don't have any writing on it. Yeah. Oh, you mean one with actual logos on it? One with logos on it. Okay. Cool. I'll keep that in mind. You know, as you go throughout the month, you might be thinking, I'd like to converse with some of the other students. Socialize? Yeah, maybe a dean, maybe Maybe. a professor. There is a place you can do that. It is. Several places. First of all, you can go to facebook.com forward slash groups, forward slash Ham College. Or you could follow at Ham College on X or formerly Twitter. Or we could go to uh, Groups.io. Thank you. Groups.io slash G slash Amateur Logic. That would be a good place as well. And there you can find out what people are talking about. Uh, Friends of the shows here. And we'll post in there when the next episode is going to be, when we'll be shooting live when it's been released and is available for download or viewing. And, uh, you know, maybe an occasional project on what we're working on or just interesting tidbits we run across. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people post on there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, it's a pretty, pretty fun place to hang out. It is. If you were wondering what we covered in a particular episode, say you're a little rusty on... Practical wire antennas, folded dipoles, phased arrays, effects of ground near antennas. There there should be some way for a fellow to figure out which episode of Ham College. I've, have I got something for you? Oh? Yeah. Do tell. You, yeah, you can go to uh, amateurlogic.tv forward slash wiki. And if you scroll down to the bottom, you'll see show notes for Amateur Logic and Ham College on there. So. You can search for your search terms there for whatever you're looking for. And if we covered it, it should pop up in the search results. Well, all my questions have been answered. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> you know, we promised questions <laughs> at the beginning. There's your answer. There you go. Right there. All the answers you ever wanted. Yep. Probably some questions you ever wanted too. Or never wanted. Seven three, everybody. Yep, seven three, everybody. We'll see you next week for Amateur Logic. Some of you. <laughs>